You can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that'll be our first passage this morning. Moving on to the next topic in our doctrinal statement. And the next statement of doctrinal belief that we'll consider this morning is this. It's printed there in your lesson notes if you'd like to follow along in the back of your bulletin. We believe salvation makes one a member of the body of Christ. The members of this body should gather together in a local church where they may minister one to another. We just finished a full semester's worth of, of Bible school class on the doctrine of the New Testament church. And so there's about, there's about uh, 16 hours worth or more of material uh, there in that one statement. We're going to try to condense it into one Sunday school lesson this morning. We're going to break that statement down into about uh, three parts. Number one, that salvation makes one a member of the body of the Christ. We'll, we'll consider that from the Bible. Number two, that the members of the body are supposed to gather together locally in, in local churches, local congregations. And three, one of the many purposes of that gathering is so that we, as members of the body of Christ, may minister one to another. And that's what we'll consider this morning, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, this under the heading of the universal or invisible church. We'll discuss what we mean by that here in just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Uh, look at what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. You understand the illustration each of you has a body and only one. You don't have a spare in the closet at home. You don't have one that you have on Sundays, another that you have throughout the week. You have one body, okay? And it has lots of different parts, but the different parts are not different bodies. Different parts are all parts of that one same body. It'd be pretty creepy if you had more than one. And the verse ends, so also is Christ. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is using this illustration to cause us to understand something in the spiritual realm regarding the body of Christ. It has many members, but we're all one body. How is that effected? Verse number 13, for by one spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So to fill in your notes, the Holy Spirit baptizes each believer into the body of Christ. When does this take place? It's in conjunction with what we've studied in previous weeks. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter number 1, takes place the moment that someone who hears the gospel, believes the gospel, and trusts in Jesus Christ, and in conjunction with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, is what 1 Corinthians 12 describes as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit takes the individual that has believed the gospel and trusted Christ and places them, immerses them, the Bible word, baptizes them into the body of Christ. And it takes place at the moment of salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the baptizing. It's not a preacher that does the baptizing. It didn't say, for by one minister are we all baptized into one local church. Because there are saved people who should have been baptized in water but have not been. 
right? Every, every saved person in the New Testament got baptized in water as a demonstration, as a testimony, as an act of obedience and in following the Lord. But that's not what salvation is. That's an act of obedience that follows salvation. So water does not show up in 1 Corinthians 12. It didn't say for by one minister are we all dumped into one tank. It didn't say for by one preacher are we all dipped into one river. It didn't say for by one pastor did we all go into the same swimming pool. We all had different uh, circumstances surrounding our believer's baptism, but this is the Holy Spirit taking every saved individual and placing them in the body of Christ, the church of which that individual is now one of the many members that comprise this one body, the, the passage is not talking about many bodies, it's one body comprised of many members, and the members are those who have believed on Christ and been baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. The cross-reference is Romans chapter 6, another passage that is commonly misunderstood to be a reference to water baptism, but it's not water baptism. You have to read the Bible carefully and let it say what it says because it means what it says and says what it means. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 3. The Bible says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Is that not what we just read in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. What is that body according to verse 12? So also is Christ. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. Did you know that this morning? Were you aware of the fact that when you believe the gospel, there are so many things that happen in the moment of salvation that we just continue to learn all that God did for us when we uh, came to him as guilty sinners and trusted in his son and believed the soul-saving gospel message. But one of those things, Holy Spirit took you and put you into Jesus Christ. You are in him today. Positionally, that's how God reckons you. The Holy Spirit's the one who did that when you believe the gospel. The Bible says, verse 3, so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death... We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This is something that every saved person has in common. Okay, again, not every saved person has been baptized in water. Not every saved person has taken that step of obedience in following the Lord. That has nothing to do with salvation. Okay, but there is one baptism, according to Ephesians 4, 6, that we all have in common. And to answer the question, is the one baptism, water baptism, or spirit baptism, what we're considering in 1 Corinthians 12, what we're considering in Romans 6 is very clearly from the Bible, spirit baptism. Um, getting in the water doesn't put anybody into Jesus Christ. But believing the gospel means you are now sealed by the Holy Spirit, but sealed where? Sealed in Christ. And the blessing of that, not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in you 1 John 4, 15, Whosoever confesseth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. This is the reciprocal indwelling of Christ and the believer. And what puts you in Jesus is, is believing the gospel. And who puts you in Jesus 
is the Holy Spirit, and that's true of every saved person. Now, Paul is writing to the Romans from a different location. Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth from a different location. He came there, he preached the gospel, he established church, and then he moved on, and then he wrote a letter back, you understand. He was not a member of that local congregation. He was not in weekly fellowship with the believers at Corinth. He was traveling the world and preaching the gospel, but he wrote back to them and said, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. So Paul, who's in a different location, but is a believer, and the Corinthians who are in Corinth, but they are believers, they're, they're, they're not part of the same local church, but they're all part of the same body, is what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. Now, here's why I emphasize that just a little bit this morning. I am not trying to get into this debate because it's not the point of the lesson, but you need to be aware there is an argument out there that there is no such thing as what we would describe as a universal church or an invisible church, this concept that there is one body of Christ of which all saved people, regardless of their baptism, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their local church affiliation, all saved people are a part of this one body that is the church, but I believe that 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 truth, that doctrine, that concept is clearly established in the verses that we've just read. Let me show you one more. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 18. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. So when we when we mention or when you hear the universal church or the invisible church, some would argue against it, but what that means is the body of Christ of which every saved person is a member having been baptized into that body by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Uh, Notice this in in Hebrews 12, verse number 18. For ye are not come into the mount that might be touched, and that burn with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken by them or to them anymore. This is referencing Mount Sinai. You can read the history in Exodus chapter 19. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And verse 21, so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But, verse 22, by contrast, ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. What, what a blessing, what a promise, what a hope we have of an eternal home in heaven. That, that's where we are going, praise the Lord. Verse 23, what are we going to find there? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all and of the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, what do you know from the Bible? How does a person get to heaven? By being baptized into a local Baptist church? Not a chance. By believing the gospel, trusting Christ, and getting saved? Absolutely. So the people who are in heaven, they're written in the book of life. They are referred to in this passage as the general assembly, as the church of the firstborn. You need to understand the definition of the word church. The word church means a called out assembly. And there is one great big called out assembly in heaven comprised of those whose names are in the book of life 
and this church in heaven is called the General Assembly. It is called the Church of the Firstborn. So this is a passage that refers to a church of which every saved person is a member. Okay, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, last passage under this heading, and then we move on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is the passage on the rapture of the church. Who gets to go up in the rapture? Everybody who's saved. Everybody who's in Christ, because everybody who's saved is in Christ, because the Holy Spirit baptizes every saved person into Christ. Look at how this works. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead, here's a key phrase, in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So what determines whether or not you get raptured? What determines whether or not you're part of the bride of Christ? It's not what you, denomination you belong to. Now, I'm, I'm a King James Bible-believing independent Baptist. I'm not necessarily ashamed of that. I, I, I believe the Bible. I want to follow the Bible, okay? And, 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 and historically speaking, the people who have wanted to believe the Bible and follow the Bible have associated under certain names at different times. That's not the argument this morning. But what makes somebody eligible for the rapture is being saved. Uh, the, the, you will go up in the rapture if you are in Christ. Verse number uh, 14, them which sleep in Jesus. Verse 16, the dead in Christ. Verse 17, we which are alive and remain. So the determining factor for whether or not you're part of this body that gets raptured is, are you saved? Are you in Christ? And the Holy Spirit puts you there when you believed the gospel. But then the members of this body are to gather together locally in called out assemblies and congregations for the purpose of fellowship, for the pur- purpose of worship, for the purpose of instruction, for the purpose of service. So members of this body should gather together in a local church. So let's study the local or the visible church. Best I can tell, The word church occurs 114 times in the New Testament. 114 times in the New Testament. And the vast majority, almost every one of those references, with the exception of just a handful of references, um, speaks of the local church, concerns the local church, has local bodies of believers, local assemblies and congregations in view, and we don't have time to run all the references, but we'll run some of those uh, this morning. The Lord—it's important we understand—the Lord did not save us just so we could go up in that rapture. The Lord did not save First Thessalonians four. The Lord did not save us just so we could go to heaven. Hebrews twelve. The Lord saved us why to, to make us like Christ, to conform us to the image of His Son, to. Uh, that that is a work that is ongoing in our lives on a daily basis until the day of redemption when we enter his presence. 
And for that purpose, to make us more like Jesus, for that purpose, he has instructed, he has commanded that every saved person join himself to other saved people in the place where he lives in local congregations of believers. And that's what we call a local church. It's all the saved people in one location or one locality assembling together. Let's see this in the in the history book of the early church, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit comes and fills those believers waiting in the upper room just as Christ had promised. And they go out and they preach the gospel and the multitudes here. And many, many believe. They, they, they ask Peter, what shall we do? He told them in verse 38, repent and be baptized. In verse number 41, they believed the word. Verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added to them about 3,000 souls. So they hear the gospel, they believe the gospel, they get saved. And then what do they do? Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They didn't just pray a prayer so they could go to heaven and then say, see you later, have a great life. They began to gather together. They didn't just start something. It wasn't a finish line they crossed when they believed Peter's preaching. It was a starting line. And they continued. And they fellowshiped. And they broke bread. And they learned doctrine. And they prayed together. And fear came upon every soul. Verse 43, many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. And, and, and man, this is, this is radical. It had all things common. It's what the world wishes they could do. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This was not compulsory. This is not communism. This is voluntarily people who love one another taking care of those who have needs. Verse 46, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, sing on his heart. They got saved and they had church every day. <laughs> and they didn't have a church building to meet in. They just went from house to house. But Jesus Christ had so changed their lives and they didn't want to stop. They wanted to continue. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Look at Acts 11. Uh, that's the church which is at Jerusalem. Let's look at the church which is at Antioch, which became the headquarters for the missions enterprise of the local church. Acts chapter 11. Verse number 19. Acts 11 and verse 19. The Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word, but none to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed... And turn to the Lord. So, so what do we know happened? When they believed the gospel and turned to Christ and trusted the Savior, they became members of the body of Christ. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus, and now they're, they're now part of the general assembly and church of the firstborn. But what they do? Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which is Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad... And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. For he was a good man full of the Holy Ghost. Faith and much people was added unto the Lord. 
And then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year, what did they do? They assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Look at this. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The name that, that we claim, the designation ascribed to followers of Jesus Christ, it, it originated in this place in this church at Antioch, and the distinguishing characteristic was they gathered together all the time. They assembled as a local congregation. These people got saved. Then they got together in a local church. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. We begin to emphasize the need for this, the importance of this, the reason for this. Hebrews chapter number 10. In verse number 19. So we believe that salvation makes one a member of the body of Christ, and the members of this body should gather together in a local church where they may minister one to another. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You see, uh, God, he saved you, but he wants you to get close to him. He forgave your sin. He washed you in his blood. He gave you a home in heaven. But he wants relationship. He wants you to draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He doesn't want you to let go of it. He doesn't want you to turn away from it. He doesn't want you to change your mind. He wants you to cling to it for the rest of your life. Hold fast. But how's that going to happen? Verse 24, and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Look, it's not just about what we do on Sunday. It's not just about I'm a Christian and so I go to church. There is a real uh, and important purpose behind this assembling Without the encouragement of my brothers and sisters in Christ, without surrounding myself with like-minded believers who love the Lord, I don't stand a chance at drawing near to God. I don't stand a chance of holding fast the profession of my faith. In order for me to do that, I need you. In order for you to do that, you need me. And so we've got to assemble together, okay? And it's interesting, we believe that the, the members of the body gathered in a local church where they may minister one to another. Church is not just about coming and sitting and listening to the pastor preach the Bible. Now, that's an important aspect. That's an important job. That's an important part. That's an important function. And, and it's something that we all need. And thank God it happens at every church service we come and, and Brother James opens the Bible and he helps us and he teaches us and he challenges us and he instructs us. But that's not the only aspect of the ministry of the local church. We all have a job to do to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to provoke one another. We all are here to minister. Not just be ministered to. That's the example we're supposed to follow of Jesus Christ. He came not to minister, but to be ministered to. Let's look at how that works. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, next passage. 1 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. We've read that phrase already this morning. God doesn't want people to be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. Verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts with the same spirit, differences of administrations, same Lord. There are diversities of operations, the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. We're not going to read any further in the passage, but the point that is very clear is that the Lord gives every saved person a spiritual gift. God did not only bless pastors with spiritual gifts. God blessed all saved people with spiritual gifts. And then he put us all together so that our gifts could help the other members and the other members' gifts could help us. And, and the purpose is for us to all help one another become more like Jesus Christ. And how are the gifts that I've been given going to help you? And how are the gifts that you've been given going to help me? If we don't get together, if we don't spend time with one another, if we don't assemble called out from the world and gather together in a local congregation, we, we, we need this in order for that purpose to be realized by the Holy Spirit and giving us spiritual gifts in order to live the Christian life I'm supposed to live, in order for you to live the Christian life you're supposed to live, we have to have each other. It's impossible, here's in your notes, it's impossible to serve God, to live the Christian life in isolation. It is impossible to live the Christian life in isolation. If you exclude yourself from a local church, you cut yourself off from what the Holy Spirit has provided to make you more like Christ. And you cut the other believers off from what the Holy Spirit has given you to help make them more like Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 4. We're going to study some of these same um, topics in the message, uh, in the preaching hour uh, this morning. Just uh, just happened to be that way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7. Quickly. The Bible says, but unto every one of us, again, but unto every one of us. That if you're here, if you are saved, you have at least a spiritual gift that God gave you because I need your help. Okay? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, when he saith, he ascended up on high, led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. You see that? We can't be perfect without the gifts that God has given every other member of the body. And those gifts that God has given every other member of the body are not going to perfect me unless I get together with the people in that Location for the perfecting the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So think about why you come to church. Maybe you come to church because you have to come to church. Ask yourself this morning, why are you here? <laughs> Maybe you have to be. And I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. My kids have to be at church this morning. I think they want to be, but it doesn't matter. They have to be. One day, you'll have kids, and you should make that rule in your house. If you live in this house, 
you go to church. Now, I hope that's not why you're here. I hope you're here because you want to be. But I wonder why you want to be. For what purpose did you get up and come to church this morning? So you could look nice and just do what you do on Sundays. So people could see the new clothes uh, that you bought. So you could see your friends. Now, nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things, especially the friends part. I hope you have friends and hope you want to be around your friends and hope you enjoy your friends. That's all good. That's all fine. But uh, so many times we, we, we forget the importance of our gathering together and we leave out this essential aspect. I'm at church not just to enjoy it, not just to get a blessing. I'm supposed to come to be a blessing. I'm supposed to come to minister. I'm supposed to come to fill my part in this building, in this body. I'm, I'm here to exercise my spiritual gift to help other people become more like Jesus. Have you ever gone to church with that in mind? What can I do today to be a blessing to every other saved person who's going to gather together? What can I do today to help my friends if, if, if I can do something so that all together we can all become more like Jesus? That's the purpose. That's the point. That's the objective. That's the attitude we are supposed to bring as we gather together to love one another and to revoke unto love and to good works. Now, one last um, consideration this morning. You're in Ephesians. Go to chapter 5. Jesus loves the church, and so should you. Jesus loves the church, and so should you. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How highly does Christ Value the church, Acts 20, 28, he purchased it with his own blood. Christ highly values the church. In the New Testament, believers' lives were centered around that local congregation. It was the God-ordained place of worship. It was the God-ordained people uh, for, for, uh, for, with whom they were associate to accomplish his purposes in us and on the earth. Look, God operates through the local church. And so our Christian life is attached to not a building, not necessarily a place, but believers with whom we gather together to worship, to serve, to evangelize, to pray, to fellowship. And it is it's not only important, it's irreplaceable. It is necessary. And we need to have the right mindset about it. Hope that you love the church. Now, every say person, yes, but... The body in this location that God has made you a part of because um, it's, it's, it's irreplaceable. And Lord, help us. Father, thank you so much for being good to us. Thank you for our church and help us to be a part and be an encouragement. Pray that you bless the ministries, Lord, and uh, God, just help us to, uh, to, to do what you'd have us to do. Helps to reach people the gospel, helps to encourage one another. God, pray for these young people. Surely thank you for them. And uh, God, pray for their spiritual growth. Pray for wisdom uh, to make good choices, right decisions. God, I pray that every life would be submitted and surrendered to accomplishing your will. Uh, Lord, you're so worthy, and we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.